latest episode of the high ground podcast um if you watched us like a month ago we did this historical events parallels in star wars um i was overly ambitious i wanted to do uh all three trilogies and we clearly that wasn't gonna happen so so we did uh the prequel trilogy now we're gonna move into the ot and then in a month or so we'll do the, the sequel trilogy but uh, for now, we are going to uh, jump into it right here on the high ground. Hello, my uh, my beautiful people, amazing guest, uh, esteemed uh, Star Wars fans. <laughs> Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited to jump into this because it was fascinating. I, I felt more like a. You guys have all the knowledge. I felt more like a fly on the wall, just like sitting there, wide eyed, just like yay, taking it all in. Um, so hopefully we get more of that. Um, and uh, yeah, we actually have one more joining us, which is Monty, who was in the chat last time, bringing up some awesome points, and so I wanted to get his viewpoint as well. Uh, but yeah, I will start by going around the room, have everyone introduce uh, yourselves, it was, introduce yourselves, and where we can find your awesome content. And you know, it's Women's History Month, so yeah, let's appreciate some of our, our amazing Star Wars ladies. Um, <laughs> just whoever you want to appreciate, who doesn't get the appreciation, who is, uh, you know, your favorite character, whatever that means to you. I'll go to St. Pat first. Hi, so um, St. Pat of Starfleet on TikTok. I uh, do a miscellaneous amount of content, mostly jokes and memes. Sometimes here and there I'll do a history parallel or analysis of something. Um, so for appreciating um, the amazing women of Star Wars, I got first shout out my main girl, Ray Skywalker. I just, she's one of my favorite Star Wars characters. She's my top, in my top three Jedi list. I just love her. She just, I love the energy that she brings to Star Wars and, and happiness. She, when she meets the original trilogy character, she just feels like a fan. Like we're in the film with her. And so, and then um, I th another one I want to shout out is I think it's Ch Senator Chuchi, is her name? From the Clone oh, Wars? Oh, yeah, Senator Chuchi. I, I loved her in the Clone Wars. Anytime she was on scene, I got to speak. It just like, it was like watching Padme as a junior senator. It was great. I love it. I, I appreciate that. And you, follow St. Pat. Uh, he did my um, icon and well, more stuff. So amazing artist and just always appreciate you, Pat. Um, yeah. How about you, Chris? Oh, me. Oh, uh, hello. What have we here? Uh, uh, I am Chris, a.k.a. Star Wars Lawyer. Uh, you can find me there on most... Um, social media platforms and uh star star wars ladies i i always gotta rep you know the the general the princess leia of alderaan uh here comes a general exactly <laughs> you get it. um padme amidala soka tano uh ray skywalker as pat said uh sabe the og handmaiden uh is the severely underrated character also, shout out to uh, Ty York, Lula Talasola, Zine Marala, and 
Sanastaros. Not Girastaros, but Sanastaros. Man, forget Girastaros. I love it. Awesome. How about you, Beth? Hi, I'm Beth. Um, you can find me at maradate.skywalker on TikTok. Um, and the Star Wars ladies I want to shout out are uh, my two faves, Bo-Katan Cruz and Fennec Shand. Um, they both look like they could punch me in the face and I would still say thank you. So, <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, Kiki? Hello, everyone. I'm currently fighting with an earring, but um, happy Women's History Month. <laughs> uh, you can find me at Black PNW Lady on TikTok. I'm going to give a shout out to the amazing Pelimoto from The Mandalorian because we do not give enough praise in Star Wars, I think, to kind of the everyday folk, like the mechanics who like are doing the behind the scenes work. You know, without people like Peli, there wouldn't be Star Wars. So that's true. That's true. Well, Those without people like awesome ships. Yeah. <laughs> somebody has to fix that ship. That's all there is to it. If we had more people like Ellie, the Falcon would actually work all the time, and then we wouldn't have Star Wars. So I'm gonna have to disagree. <laughs> um, and uh, real quick, I have uh, Camilla in the chat. I know literally nothing about her, but I'm hyping up Reva on this glorious day. And yeah, we were. We, we are going to get into that. Um, Element 7 here says, Star Wars ladies, I want to shout out as Kiki, Beth, Camilla, Shalo, Sawyer, Stoops, etc. All the ladies in Star Wars, which, Everybody. yeah, love love all y'all. Um, last but not least, we have uh, Monty. Um, yeah, where can we find you and your content? And what Star Wars lady do you want to shout out? Ooh, you're a little quiet. <clears throat> uh, sorry, I, I don't know if you have a, a different mic selector or something like that, but it's just it's very quiet. <laughs> not, not really. So maybe if you have some some headphones, and then we can we can come back to you. All right. No, that's fine. Just just take a second, uh, and we will we'll come back to uh, to Monty. But move forward, man. We had that real real dope trailer um, drop today. I don't know how you guys felt. Um, you know, I I even missed a part in the end because I was breathing so heavily. Um, uh, there's something that happened at the end. I thought it was me. <laughs> I. Yeah. So, what 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 do you guys uh, thoughts on? I guess I'll, I'll I'll get Chris first. Oh, okay. Uh, so I I was I was listening in on the investor call, um, and or the the shareholder meeting, and he was you know talking about things that were coming up. And he talked about Kenobi, and he said, "All right." And we have a special sneak. And I just instantly ran and grabbed my iPad. Granted, like I'm suited up because I had a deposition in five minutes over Zoom. So I like put up my iPad. It pulls it up. Like I missed like the first, I don't know, like three seconds of the trailer, but I'm just like watching it. 
I lose it seeing, you know, baby Luke. Then they play Duel of the Fates. And then you see Riva and the Grand Inquisitor. And I, too, missed Vader's breathing at the end of the trailer. Uh, I didn't even recognize until after I sent it to my friend. And he was like, dude, they ended it with Vader's breathing. I was like, huh? Uh, and then I had to, like, compose myself real quickly because I had to jump into a Zoom deposition. So I was like, I'll freak out later. <laughs> I just I wish I wish there was more nerds so that you could like jump into a deposition and then everyone in there is like I know we're on opposing sides but damn <laughs> it's funny my co-counsel like uh my coworker uh who's also on the case who who was there he also loves Star Wars and watches it with his kids so he texted me like while we were waiting he was just like you see the Kenobi trailer and I'm like yeah <laughs> What's funny is uh, sorry to right interrupt after... this better. Yes, that is yeah. much better. Um sorry. <laughs> we uh when I um when I first saw it, like as soon as I saw it, someone at work IM'd me and it said, uh, what do you think? And I was like, I've never talked to that person before. What are they talking about? And then they said something else. And it was a completely unrelated. They were text. They were sending a message to it with the wrong brand. And um, but I was like, I got excited. I was about to jump in, go all out. But I'm like, who are you trying to talk to? Not me. Okay, I'm sad. And then I uh, jumped in the server to catch up with y'all. Uh, but Beth, how how did you feel? Are you okay? Um, <laughs> there's a few people that I was like, okay, we gotta check, we gotta check on, on, on Beth, we gotta check on Holly Ann, we got we gotta check on Julia Christine. I feel like they may have combusted. Uh, how do you feel? Um, there were a lot of there were a lot of tears. Um, there have continued to be a lot of tears. Uh, I have so many thoughts. I I don't know how like deep you want to like go into it. So many thoughts though. I guess just superficially the luke anakin parallel sent me um duel the fates like now they're dueling for the fate of the children sent me um and then i had to also email into work luckily i didn't have anything due today and i told them i had a migraine and i was going to be offline um because i literally <laughs> could not function so <laughs> I was, lots of crack it was great, though. I'm so excited. <laughs> I, I love it, and I I know you have some some deeper stuff. Let me hit everyone real quick, and then I want I want to hear what else you got. All right. Um, how about how about you, Kiki? I I didn't know that it had dropped. I was minding my own black business, and then <laughs> you see the Kenobi trailer, and I was like, Oh Lord, here we go, here we go. <laughs> and so I turned it on, and you know, I was I like like everybody else, I freaked out when I saw little Luke. And um, then seeing the Inquisitors, I was like, oh, we're going to do this. Okay. Um, and then at the very end, of course, when I heard Darth Vader's breathing, I was like, kind of felt like I was taken back to that moment in like Rogue One, where everything just is dead quiet and you hear the breathing and you're like, there's no way they're going to do it. There's no way we're going to do it. And then <laughs> I was like, oh, Vader's just going to come out of the left field in one of these episodes and none of us are going to be ready. I, I mean, my body I, is ready. <laughs> if if they do anything like they they did him in uh in Jedi Fallen Order, um, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna lose that. You have failed me, Inquisitor. <laughs> He's not nice to Inquisitors, by the way. Um, mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Uh, how about you, Monty? Your thoughts on it? And also, where can we find you and your content and your Star Wars lady? You, you got some yeah, catching up. Um, okay. You can find me. Um, well, thanks for having me, first of all. And sorry about the delay. Um, I'm the old guy. Um, <laughs> so the um, you can find me as Monty the Mando on TikTok. And you can find me on Amazon.com as Montgomery Harris. I've only got a couple of my books out there. Um, that's not that's not saying this self promotion. It's just where you can find me. Um, and uh, my, the the shout out I've got to give to the women, Jin herself, for being the most well rounded character as a female in all of Star Wars. I think she shows the vulnerabilities. She shows the strengths. She is a bit of the badass type, but at the same time, she's a great character. Um, and Hera Sendula because. She goes after Imperials like Kiki goes after Star Trek fans. <laughs> I mean, th that is a badass. Um, it's a necessary war that I have begun. <laughs> I fought that one in the eighties. Don't go back there. I just, I, go I just gotta say, I, I lived through the eighties. Don't do it. <laughs> um, I'm a little offended with my uh, my username. <laughs> in your war no, I think you see when the Lord's work. Uh, there's like all this weird drama going on that's like, why is this here? And she's like, you know what? Star Wars is better. We're like, yes, this is my war. You know, I'm going can... to walk up to a Star Trek fan and push their juice on the table and just keep eye contact. Like, <laughs> that's really what I did. It's, uh, they, but... they, they scare me. Um, but as for the trailer, <laughs> Um, I was a physical and emotional wreck. I've been waiting years for that, like we all have. We've been waiting years for that. But, um, you know, it's like, Obi-Wan, may the remorse be with you. You know, it's just, you You wanted to sort of like just go and pat him on the shoulder and say, it's going to be all right. You're the badass. You you are the, the one, man. <laughs> um, but I already spotted one Easter egg already, as I told. Uh, um. Yeah, with the, uh... I can't remember your real name, Beth. Beth, sorry. Um, I did spot one Easter egg already, so my work is done. <laughs> the blue sign <laughs> says milk. Blue milk yes. is in the trailer. Go see it. Yeah, blue milk factory or, or something. I, I don't know what it is, but it's churning it out. No, I, I, I love it too. Um, also, I didn't say any of mine, so I want to make sure I also shout out Harrison Dula because mommy. Um, I want to make sure that I, I shout out uh, uh, kind of in the same vein, Aralani. Um, <laughs> and no, I'm super excited to to find out more about about our girl Reva that we saw today. And then, uh, yeah, it's just it's 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 awesome. We're we're not when it comes to the representation. You know, we're not quite there yet, but we're getting there and every step forward, every every bit of progress, love it. Absolutely love it. Um Choco, can I just give someone a shout out real quick? Yeah. There's a brand new book out called Women of the Galaxy. I went and bought it the other day and it is fantastic. It doesn't go too deep, but what a book. And it's Absolutely. got everything right up to resistance in it. So if you like want to see women in Star Wars, there's your best guide to start if you're not familiar with the franchise. Absolutely. That is a beautiful book. I don't own it myself, but I am going to be getting a copy of it soon. And also, next week on the High Ground Podcast, we're going to be having um, a, a bunch of other women of our Star Wars Galaxy 
local here to TikTok and YouTube. So appreciate everyone. Um, but yeah, all right, all right. So we've all kind of, except St. Pat. <laughs> you're, you're, I was like, something's, something's, something's off. St. Pat. That's all good. That's all good. Got? So uh, for Kenobi, I, I, I like everyone here, I freaked out on the Luke scene. Like, So the, for the whole trailer, you know, I've been having a low day because of personal stuff I've been having. So when I was watching the shareholder meeting and this trailer came on, my mood just went skyrocket up to go in it's like I, I think that's the like the power of star wars and how it impacts your life um and but like i got i, I obsessed so much on the luke scene that i rewatched that scene like maybe five times because i because he, he he's being a pilot but i swear every time i watch it he's doing the pod racing anakin mm-hmm. moves and <laughs> i just love that so much and then i'm i have no idea who Reva is as a character. Um, she's from is she from Fallen Order? No, new, no, brand, brand new. new. Okay, so she's I'm, new, and there's one other new Inquisitor in there. So I, I will I'm, be dissecting. <laughs> I'm ex- completely excited for all the new characters because as much as I love, I mean Obi Wan Kenobi is Space Lord. He's he's amazing, but like I love anytime they bring in new characters because it just it adds more to the galaxy. And I, so I cannot wait, wait to see her in action and all the other Inquisitors. I mean, the Grand Inquisitor just looks fabulous. I got chills, and I love it. <laughs> <laughs> really awesome. And uh, so, uh, Garden of the Wheel says that he thinks the Inquisitors uh, look a bit goofy. It, it's it's just the translation of of animated into into live action. There's always going to be differences. There's always going to be, um, you know, certain things. He he looked a bit too nice for me you know what i mean like <laughs> he looked a little bulky on the chest plate yeah i love they seem a little 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 squat you know like i cooked in the squat type deal but um we don't know if this is the time in his life he goes from being bad to being downright evil or do we this might be the story that does that yeah or you know I mean, there's still some time in between when we'll uh see him in rebels so you know maybe this was like folk season or something. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> uh, so oh, f- final thoughts. I, I hit everyone, but if anyone has uh, some deep thoughts, Beth, I know you got some some nugget cooking. Oh, those will no. I that'll that'll take like years. So no, just <laughs> I'm. I think just echoing everyone. I'm very excited. <laughs> All right, perfect. All right. So jumping into the meat of the episode, we wanted to talk about the original trilogy and uh, the historical parallels that that we see. Um, you know, once again, George Lucas did a masterful job weaving uh, this this modern mythology together by taking um, inspiration from real life situations, and it's fascinating because none of them are really well. They typically aren't really one to one. So sometimes you know the bad guys are uh, you know, or or it's not like the bad guys are that side and we're the good side now he mixes it up quite a bit which is something i really enjoy uh but yeah i want to jump into it i put gave us some examples that came to mind but you guys are all way more well versed in history i felt inadequate to even try to write topics so, <laughs> so um 
I don't if, if Beth, you want to lead off and then people feel free to jump in and and uh, and give share your thoughts. Oh my God. Sorry, for some reason, it took my mic a minute there. Um, yeah, so I think one of the, I guess just I'll start off by saying one of the things, obviously, that, that separates the uh, prequel trilogy from the original trilogy. Having some some mic issues today. Sorry. Yeah, apparently. Um, one of the things that separates like the prequel trilogy from the original trilogy, because I know we talked prequels last time, is the fact that the original trilogy has a very defined set of what is supposed to be good and what is supposed to be evil. And I think that that works very well with the story. Um, but it's interesting because obviously there are many historical parallels at, that during that time, coming at this from like an intellectual history standpoint, um, during the time the films were being made there was a very clear good and evil um in certain situations so i found that to be kind of like a very fascinating just i guess difference between the two um as far as specific do you want to go in like specific historical events or just like overall like yeah specific uh, however wh whatever it means to you i mean then I, I want to hear your your thoughts feel free to get deep with it oh god oh god um I think, I mean, obviously, obviously we all know that like the empire is supposed to be a metaphor for like, you know, the rise of fascism and all of that bad stuff. Um, and again, I think it's very, very clearly defined both symbolically and throughout the story. Um, and I think that's something that because of the clear line between good and evil, and I guess this is like a little bit more character based than historical, uh, but I think that's part of what makes Vader's redemption so interesting um, is because they did do it so clear. Whereas I think in this, am I having, is there, I feel like no. so many mic issues. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're, you're fine. You're fine. <laughs> okay. I'm like, oh my God. Um, but yes, that is, that's my sign to stop talking then. <laughs> okay. <laughs> No, uh, yeah. Any anyone else's thoughts? I know Pat, you have some. Yeah, so I, just going back to um, the uh, what we talked about in the prequels about aesthetics and George Lucas's masterful use and um, direction of aesthetics for um, the parallels in the original trilogy because he gives us the Empire that looks like Nazis. But when you really look at it, it, it's so well a critique of Amer American imperialism, and I, I just love that because if I I just I've spent nights just thinking about how how the movie would have been received in in the, in the seventies if he comes out blatantly stressing the empire as Americans, how how that would that affect us as Star Wars fans? How would if these imperial apologists that we have now would actually be um, the the main the, the main group that are people of the fandom and just how it would affect the story and why because it was highly Vietnam War it was a lot of polarization between if America is the good guy or, or America is the bad guy depending on where are you where were you on the countercultural stance and. It it, it it would it, it would make a gray area on the bad guy because you the average American would see the, these people who are dressed as Americans being the good guy. Well, you have these terrorists 
who would then be clearly become the Viet Cong. Um, so I think George Lucas's way of giving the Imperial a definitive uh, aesthetic of people we associate um, as evil coming out of the end of World War II, it, it was it was a brilliant tactic with him and the writers and the set designers uh, of the of the time. Yeah, amazing jobs aesthetically telling the story. Can I just add something real quick there to what St. Patrick was saying? Because this is a great experiment anyone can do. If you watch the movie Captain Phillips and you watch the movie and you watch the opening scene of the Tanti 4 trying to escape the uh, Devastator, watch the two side by side and listen to them with a different music. Because in the movie Captain Phillips, you've got three US battleships chasing behind this lifeboat and it's all like this dum 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 we're the good guys music right and it's three navy ships chasing a, a lifeboat sorry i know this war then i'm english but sorry <laughs> <laughs> right? but you know you and if you put that music to it it's almost like the devastator chasing the tanti four but if you when you flip it on its head the tanti four is the lifeboat and the Star Destroyers coming after it. It's almost exactly the same scene with different music in a hard-to-believe kind of way. Which is why that one episode of The uh, the Mandalorian um, in Season 2, they made us, like, root for <laughs> for the Empire for a second. And you were like, yeah! Oh, no! <laughs> oh, <laughs> they're not do? nice! <laughs> For a second, you're like, hey, they did it. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Let, let me take a look at my notes. Yeah, they're the bad guys. <laughs> I've just, I've just come off thinking like, Thorne was a good guy. <laughs> Empire are the bad people in this. Uh, uh, yeah, how about you guys' thoughts, uh, uh, Kiki? Oh, I have a lot of thoughts about it. But um, <laughs> where to begin? I think that it's very interesting when you look at the original trilogy and the time periods in which they came out um looking at how our attitudes were changing towards war in the 1970s when the first film came out in 1977 um and i mean i just did a huge series a while back on mash on one of my channels just talking about the show mash and you know how it kind of was a critique of American imperialism, of American war tactics. And I look at Star Wars and something I believe Pat said kind of like rung into my ear, which is, you know, I wonder if George Lucas had been this open about the empire is actually the United States, how would it have been received in the 1970s and the 1980s? Um, I think Man, I don't know how it would have been received. I think there might have been a lot of criticism of that, just going off the top of my head. And I think the reason that MASH got away with being so critical of it was because it really was pushing into that anti-war sentiment. I know, I might have to actually take this back. I might actually have to take back what I've just said now that I'm thinking about it. I don't know how to bridge that gap, actually. Interesting. All right. Because, well I mean... People were extremely critical of the United States involvement in Vietnam and the usage of 
weapons in Vietnam and chemicals in Vietnam, but I'm not sure how they would have reacted if George Lucas had been that open in the 1970s and 80s that the empire is actually the United States. I think that would have ruffled a bit of feathers with a lot of the imagery that was being used for the empire, the visuals. I think that would have ruffled some feathers perhaps, but um, I wonder if it would have opened up a lot more conversations about American imperialism, about American power, in a different way that maybe it didn't because that wasn't a main conversation around that franchise at the time. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I feel like had it been more direct, we probably wouldn't get any more. <laughs> they probably would have, uh, you know, uh, he would have had a car accident or something like that. You know, you, you never know. You never know. Um, well, and I think if I can just say this, I think because he mentioned, I believe in 2004, 2005, about this being, the US being the empire, right? That was kind of the first time he came public with that. And I kind of think that maybe, you know, just with the politics of the 1970s and 80s, it's still the Cold War, right? Maybe he just wanted to avoid getting pulled into that conversation because he knew how sticky things would get for him. And so almost, 30 years later is when he finally reveals that and had talked about it was maybe when he finally felt he could talk about it and not have all of this tension that existed because of the Cold War and how things were as well. Because that's another layer to this. This is during the Cold War. Nixon would definitely have some words, would have had some words with Lucas. Mm -hmm. No? Nixon was already way gone. <laughs> Nixon was gone. <laughs> by then yeah. uh how about you chris uh so uh where where to begin I'll, I'll start off with this so i was planning for for this podcast to have this book called star wars and in, in history which mm -hmm. is a a compilation of academic essays looking at um the historical allegories and parallels of star wars to um world history as, as it is and uh i was looking at it after the last podcast and it was 193 dollars and i would be like yeah uh so i did find it for 27 dollars used but it won't be here for like a week and a half so i'll have it but i'll have it for the sequel one but i don't i think that's pre-sequel so uh i'll just have to make some some videos but um when, when it comes to the original trilogy and historical parallels, you know, we have Emperor Nixon, I mean Palpatine. Um, you have the uh, the U.S. imperial uh, agenda when it comes to Vietnam. And uh, I think that some of it comes from Lucas's sort of failure with Apocalypse Now, because that was going to be him and Spielberg sort of like, vietnam war film and then he had to drop out of it um and then he made you know he has star wars um and i think he sort of injects sort of those feelings into it and i think with the statement that the um uh the that america is the empire probably would not have gone over well at least domestically um that him being able to hide the hints of it in there for those that that pay attention uh i think he weaved it enough 
to now when he can say it comfortably and everybody's like oh yeah yeah as opposed to you know when he did the prequels and he's like yeah this is the bush presidency and people are just like there's too much politics in this this is boring (laughs) (laughs) yeah um yeah i because i think about the minute i think star wars has always been political right it always has been but i think because i'm trying to think of like why lucas would be quiet or not say anything and i literally think it's because then maybe like he just didn't want to be he didn't want to have that conversation in the 70s and 80s and keep in mind that the first star wars movie came out in 1977 right the war in vietnam officially ended about 1975 from my recollection and this was a war and i mean it's a war that still there's a lot of complicated feelings in the united states um and i think because i'm trying to think from his point of view why would he be quiet and i think maybe it was just something he felt he was not ready to touch on and it, there would be just too much pain involved in that conversation i think especially with conversations that we are finally beginning to have about how the war had affected that well, from domestic side veterans and talking about PTSD and the fact that these veterans were coming back and they were telling us these horrific stories and they were coming back with this trauma that our country was not, we didn't have the facilities ready to work with and support them in the way that they needed. So this is two years after the end of that type of a war. And I think that he was just very, he was treading very carefully at that point. Yeah. You know, I also, um, one thing that I think of is, he he directly says that the the target audience for this was 12 year olds and he says 12 year olds are smart a lot smarter than we give them credit for but if you were if you wanted to make a story to warn a 12 year old of the negative side of these types of conflicts you know, I also think that this would be a clever lens to do it to make people think critically. Like, I mean, my, myself, um, I was, you know, taught in school, like the United States dropped bombs on Japan and I ended the war and it was, it was such a great idea and that's what they were supposed to do. And then I see the Death Star and I was like, that's not good. That's a bad thing to do. And having something as simple as that recontextualized by feeling what it'd be like on the other side there's a lot of people who are non-combatants who are not involved in this at all and you don't care that sucks and star wars made me appreciate that when i actually like stopped and think about it you know so i i want to talk about the death star and star wars super overall love with super weapons for a second because I got about a while back when I was in a Star Wars uh, our, 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 our page group I got in an argument with one of the members of the group over Star Wars and super weapons and he's saying well why why is there a second Death Star why is there another um, uh, Star, why is a Star Kill base I think there's a super weapon in Kortor too and, mm-hmm. um, and I'm like well if, if you're looking at it from, where, from the perspective of the original trilogy, where America is the empire, the atomic bond is is the um, is, is this uh, Death Star, and we didn't 
just dropped the two in um in Hiroshima and uh, Japan. We presidents have considered the nuclear options multiple times over the um since the end of World War Two. Truman wanted to lay a, use a series of nuclear bombs in the Korean War on the, the border between China and North Korea to create a nuclear wall so that North, so China can reinforce them. Um, Nixon I dropped um, was going had considered using it four times during his part um, uh, presidency: one to end the Vietnam War, one to deal with the Arab-Israeli War, which we didn't have a lot of skin in at all, except for Israel was an ally. And so the, the, there's always a threat of a super weapon, and it's, and it's always going to be there, and it's it's a great immediacy to have hanging over your characters yeah that's that's fascinating i didn't i didn't know that but yeah i always laughed at that complaint of like you you realize they don't stop making stuff that destroys other stuff they want stuff that destroys more stuff you know well i mean that was kind of the american poli deterrence right this old i think it was theodore roosevelt it was like carry a big stick like we're just gonna stand here with our big stick. No, we're not gonna use it. But you don't know if we're gonna use it because we. But we're just gonna sit here with it and look at you. Yeah, and walk silently, carry a big stick. And I remember watching the first, well, A New Hope, and when they blow up Alderaan. And I think more now about it in the context of the Cold War. What would it be like in 1977 to sit there and watch this empire blow up an entire planet? Right. And this is coming off of, you know, the heels much years earlier, the Cuban Missile Crisis. If you had lived through the Cuban Missile Crisis, this is the, the scenario that we always feared. And you see this a lot with films from the Cold War in the 60s and 70s, for example, Planet of the Apes. What happens when we push the button and there is complete annihilation? So a lot of that imagery, that imagery of Alderaan being destroyed, that was always in the back of your mind when you were during the Cold War, when you were growing up and living through it. And people who I've talked to who grew up during the Cold War will tell have told me they're like, it's always the end scenario in your mind of what could happen on any given day. And we got really close during the Cuban Missile Crisis. So mm -hmm. I grew and up I've... in the Cold War and I served in the military in the Cold War. And let me tell you, you're quite right, Kiki. It was bloody terrifying. Mm -hmm. It was like um there's a there's an old movie out there called threads it's a british movie and we was played that school you see people burning in the streets as the bomb goes off and we was played that at school and i don't mean high school right like i was 12. i didn't sleep for a week because right. i knew it was there you know and um we were told we had eight minutes growing up in England we had mm -hmm. eight minutes that was all we got um which was just the exact same amount of time it took me to run home from school was eight minutes uh, admittedly that was like a steady jog because I wasn't running away from a nuclear bomb but eight minutes was a, <laughs> still a long time to get home you know uh wasn't very long to get home um can I offer another historical take real quick oh yeah uh, yeah yeah fire them off um 
I'm going to delve a little bit into the mind of George Lucas and the era when he grew up, which is also Cold War, but there was something else happened when he was about 15 years old or younger, 12 to 15 years old, like formative years for a young man in them days. And um, think about George Lucas's attitude towards big cinema, like, you know, the big studio theatres, which he didn't like. And... Uh, MacArthurism and the MacArthur Witch Trials. And George mm -hmm. Lucas has always been very untrusting of the large companies, you know, and he, he was always against the the what he called the uh, the old white man dictatorship that was taking place in Star Wars. Like I think it was George Lucas, Spielberg and somebody helped me out, my mind just went dead. Who directed The Godfather? Uh Francis Ford Coppola? Yeah, yeah. Coppola. they were the three young men in Hollywood. That was it, really, pretty much. Um, but like, Star Wars was released in '77, so it started being made in '55. He started writing it when he was at college, so that was '62 when he was at SCU. So around that time, he's just coming off the back of the MacArthur Witch Trials. Um, whereas if you had any thought that didn't go along with what the Empire said. MacArthur was the emperor. You know, he was coming down and saying, you know, you went to uh, a meeting in college where there was one person who was a communist who served the tea. Why were you there? And then you get blacklisted from Hollywood. And what happened to George Lucas after he made uh, THX? He got blacklisted. Every, every, the, the, the Star Wars won best movie of the year best sound best editing best costume design never best movie and uh, never best director he was completely shunned and i think they took offense to it because there is a parallel between the emperor and the empire and the macarthur witch trials which happened after world war ii which was also a symptom of the cold war you know oh. so i i see sorry the screen just flashed and as you know, I'm blind. It just scared me. Um, oh, sorry about um, that. It's all right. My eyes. Um, but the, there's a parallel there to where we might have felt to George Lucas on a personal level, you know? Because he was a 1950s cruiser. He was taught to be terrified of Russia, terrified of this. But the one person who was doing all the witch hunting and telling me, being all Fahrenheit 451 and, and Big Brother, was actually Hollywood at that time. You know, well, Hollywood was the ones being persecuted. So there's a parallel there. That's interesting. It's not related to war, but to society and culture. Mm -hmm. I love and that. I've got another I one to that, but I'm going to let everybody else go first. But that's the one parallel. I love that. I, I never thought about that. That was great. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> but, uh, and then, uh, uh, Beth, it looked like you had something to say. Um, nothing as insightful as that. <laughs> <laughs> nothing as insightful as that. I feel all big-headed now. I'm going to smoke a pipe. <laughs> uh, going back to the, the super weapon discussion, I think 
when people always ask why Death Star 2, why Star Killer Base, it's like history has always had its its super weapons of, of their day where you start with the compound bow, Greek fire, or as we know it now, napalm, uh the um the archer cavalry that the um wow why can't i think of genghis khan's uh, the mongols had um the polyrene warships you know going further the bombards in the 15th century you keep going and as technology develops someone's going to come up with one way to hold it over our heads that's why we didn't just stop with the atomic bomb we then went you know hydrogen thermonuclear you know inter intercontinental ballistic missiles like we don't need to drop use planes now we're just gonna launch it from the other side of the world um i and humans are always poised to try to find the best way to destroy each other and i think with star wars when you have something that literally just wipes out a whole planet it's like okay how do you improve upon that make a bigger one okay how do you improve upon that make an even bigger one like that's pretty much where what you what you got to do um so if you're books yeah (laughs) yeah if you're trying to be top dog you got to get yourself a planet killer well and i think this fear it still exists to this very day like i mean i i came into this world in the early you know the 90s but even growing up and even now i think it says a lot about us as a race, a human race, that when any type of conflict begins in any type part of the world, right, the conversation eventually spirals down to, oh God, what if it's World War Three? And if it's World War Three, we're bringing out the nuclear weapons and it's game over. Um, it's a lot of rhetoric that I've heard, especially about with this recent conflict with Ukraine and Russia. And I don't want to get into that because I'm not the right person to speak on that conflict. But the rhetoric that I have heard people using about it's going to be World War III and we're going to use nuclear weapons, you know, I'm kind of like, you know, it's very interesting. This is rhetoric that we heard in the 80s, 70s, 60s, when anything got tense between these two superpowers, between the Soviet Union and the United States. So we have never truly let go of that being a possible fear. And I think it's because, of course, we have people who are still alive who lived through the Cold War we still have these weapons pointed at each other, you know, and just because the Cold War ended doesn't mean that fear of those weapons being used has ever truly left us as a human race. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that they brought back the second the second Death Star, I've got a lot of feelings about that, but it's a fear that has never truly left us. Like we have buttons, we have keys, and all it takes is an order for us to blow ourselves up. Mm-hmm. and the order comes from a couple of people the rest of us really don't get a say if that's the ch- the path we choose yeah thank well, god for mutually assured destruction right yeah <laughs> i think something that's really interesting about the concept of the death star is how obviously it was conceived in a very specific time period but we have additional pieces of media like lost stars or like rogue one that have kind of, I don't want to say like recontextualized it, but given us additional information about kind of how both sides have reacted to it being created, its consequences, etc. Um, so yeah, I just find that really interesting as far as, because I think one of the things that when we discuss World War Three, there's so much like this fear of the unknown 
And in the Star Wars universe, it became a known. Everybody saw what happened to Alderaan and you have, you know, the propaganda everywhere, the remember Alderaan posters and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, but it's it's interesting if you think about the influence of some of the newer media on it as well. Yeah, along with that, it makes me think of the, the book um, Legends of Luke Skywalker where the, it's a bunch of like short stories and some of them are terrible but <laughs> there's a few like nuggets in there and one of them is just a straight up conspiracy theorist where they're like okay so luke skywalker isn't real he was a guy named like like luke claude plotter and uh and they didn't destroy the death star the death star never existed it was just like a farce that they used to control people and then um these people, these rebels, figured out that it didn't exist, so they faked footage of the Death Star blowing up and saying that they blew it up, and then the Empire knew that they knew it wasn't real, and so they had to just like backpedal and like they just like start spilling into this this whole thing, and it's it's hilarious. But <laughs> I mean, I mean, we. Super- like like Beth was saying, you know, we, we see it in, in Rogue One when Krennic goes to Vader, you know. There is no Death Star. The Senate has been informed that Jetta was destroyed in a mining disaster. Like, you know, everybody's just like, that's a really <laughs> big mining disaster, dude. <laughs> so that thing's supposed to mine planets? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, now I that mean, I... I'll go ahead. I was just gonna say, I, I mean, if you know, you blow up a planet and all the rocks are out there, you just send out a few space crews and get get to work. <laughs> just to tap onto what Beth was saying there, if you've read Catalyst, there's a lot of comparisons between um, Galen Erso and Albert Einstein when it comes to Kyber Crystal Energy. If you go into it with that mindset, because Albert Einstein was actually the brain that inspired the atomic bomb and believing it was a cause for energy and Galen Erso does exactly the same thing with kyber crystals actually believing that it was a um, an energy source like most of the work done by Galen Erso was to create a, a free energy source and end poverty there's some good comparisons there on a historical point of view it's a great book yeah he was trying to like build contained energy so that you could drop it on a planet that had no resources and just use this to power the planet. And mm-hmm. Krennic just has another team that's just mapped over the first one. He's like, we're going to do all the same stuff, but make it blow things up. And yeah, and that only lasted so long, but until they were like, yeah, we need you specifically. Yeah. And I love Krennic because he's the first ever Imperial bad guy not to have a British accent. Thank you so much for doing that, Star Wars. <laughs> right, because <laughs> we're not. Yeah, there's a that. whole whole thing to unpack with villains having British accents. <laughs> it's weird. Do you like Marcus as Russian? Accent. Why are they? <laughs> there's a reason for it. It's actually called B A O C. B A E O C is what it's called, and it's a British air of assumed authority. That's why you see shows like the Super Nanny coming over here and giving advice to parents. When there's a hundred Americans who could do it just as well, it's just that JoJo says, "Go sit on the naughty step, you little bastard." Right? 
because she does that with the British accent, it assumed an air of authority. And also, there was a lot of British actors where the movie was made. That's true. Oh, and by the way, all of those officers who were sat in the Death Star all came from roles where they played draconian people. They were all like police chiefs. And um, in their shows, like the guy who's uh, got the mutton chops sitting next to the guy who gets choked, I can never remember his name. Uh, it, it escapes him as well. Okay. He's got the bald head and the uh, the mutton chops. He was he used to actually play a policeman called Bullman who used to beat confessions out of people, you know. <laughs> so it was like that kind. That all of those characters that were sat around the table already had a pre-existing reputation of playing people who were not so nice, mm. and then they were all there for the world to see, you know. So. I just, I just wish we got to see it. Peter Cushing in his slippers, like the story. <laughs> I, I, I just kind nice that Tarkin wears slippers around the whenever he's working, and people just <laughs> allow it. <laughs> That's when you've got star power, isn't it? Yeah, it's not the goal to get high enough on the food chain to where you're just like. Is he wearing pajamas? He's like, are you gonna tell him not to? Uh, <laughs> good. Do, do you want to know? Do you want to know a stupid, really interesting piece of trivia about Peter Cushing? Go for it. He, he wore the slippers, and he always played these nasty men, like you know the 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 the, the villains and stuff, like Frankenstein and um, all those people, and um, Grand Moff Tarkin. When his wife died, he actually went onto a British show and said. I would really love it if you were if you could work with me to do a show where I get a flower made bread just for my wife's name, just so that the world can remember her. So you've got this guy who plays these really horrible villains who has a heart that good that he thinks when his wife passed, the only thing he wanted to do was create a flower in her name so everyone knows how beautiful she was. That's I'll get my card. Well, now I'm sad. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Suck on that one, I'll be one. <laughs> but so um, I, yeah, been, that's a true story. So I, I've been here sitting with the thought since Kiki brought up Mash, and I, I was just re I just finished watching A New Hope, and there is a part part of me really sees a whole Luke part of Luke's journey is delving into the romanticism of war. Because Luke, A New Hope, Luke really reminds me of an episode of Mash where the actor Richard from Richard Cunningham comes onto the show, and he plays a, a under a minor who lied about his age to get enlist in the Korean War, and he, then he figures out the horror of war once he's at the Mash Hospital, and that just if I if I take that in mind, I'm looking back at Luke's journey. It, it really is that he gets. He gets to be in New Hope. He gets to be an X-wing pilot. It's what he's wanted to do. He's going to even go into Empire to do it, even if he he said it himself. He doesn't like the Empire, but he wanted to be a a fighter pilot. So they're going to do. And then when you get to Empire Strikes Back, you he goes to Dagobah, a swampy, marshy place like Vietnam was, and then he's really getting into the nitty gritty of it. And then he comes out at uh, Return of the Jedi, where he throws away his weapon. He doesn't want to be, he wants to take a peaceful route. He doesn't want to be the warrior anymore. And that's that, that innocence to adult 
um, in that in, in, through and finding out the romanticism of war that you're told isn't true just plays in my mind. I, I always got mad at Luke when he tossed the lightsaber away. I'm like, you could have put that bad boy on your on on on, on your hill, you know? Like, why'd you have to be like, ye, like ye? I mean, like, okay, you did that and you didn't in the last shot. I like stop tossing lightsabers, man. It never works out for you. Yeah, like, carpet turkey like a. <laughs> it's Anakin's son. He's gonna be as extra as possible. <laughs> yeah, them Skywalker men in the drama. I so I mean, wanted Luke. <laughs> There's one thing to love about like the Skywalker family is that they are extra from day one. Every single one of them. Dramatic. They'd all be theater kids. All dramatic. Every uh, single one of them. Now, the only one that was not dramatic was like Shmi. Like she was the only one who had it together in that entire Skywalker line. <laughs> see, now I just want a scene of Luke picking out his outfit before he goes to Jabba's palace. Because <laughs> he's just like, all right, what, what am I? I gotta be intimidating. But, you know, you know, before then he was modeling for Lando and Leia, and they were giving him tips. Elzar man is trying to communicate through the cosmic force. Pick the boots, the beautiful boots. Could you imagine him standing like... there, standing there, going, "I want something that says I'm capable of being very dark, but light on the inside, but not so light that I'm a pushover." Let's go with the gray panel today. <laughs> yeah, that's that's my headcanon. All right, you won't be able to convince me otherwise. Um, I have another historical comparison for you if you want it. Yes, yeah. sir. Okay, um, I've got two actually, but they're related to the same thing. So bear with me here, all right? Um, but who's ever heard of the Bismarck? I'm okay. totally not Googling that as you talk about it. <laughs> not happening at all. No, I was I was like, I've heard of it and I'm trying to like mine information from my brain, but I'm also telling my brain, do not sink think about Bismarck. You're talking about think about Bismarck. Sink the Bismarck is free on YouTube. I, I encourage everyone to watch the movie because it was done very factually in some respects, but they dramatize because it was still made during World War II, they had to dramatize some of it. But um, there's a lot of comparisons between the Besmark and the Death Star, especially when it comes to the battle. Um, you see, the Bis Britain and Britain was on their own, right, for a small period of time. We we're completely on our own, and we relied on we relied solely on the Liberty ships coming across from America, right? um and the and and we had to send the ships back that was part of the deal you know and uh we was losing the water of the northern atlantic badly you know the the, the u-boats were taking out people um my grandmother told me that um it come to so bad at one point it was one spread of the knife with butter and then you turn it upside down on your tongue so that you can get the taste this is how ration they were you know and they, they used to drink their tea almost cold so the sugar didn't dissolve for, properly and that way they could have two cups of tea you know it was like that was the height of rationing my mom didn't have a chocolate bar until she was three years old and she was born in 1952 you know it was like the rationing went on for that long all because of the the uh, boats so just to give you the context of how desperate it was in england at that time 
The biggest threat to this problem was the Bismarck, which was the Germans' only battleship, and it was gigantic. It was the biggest battleship in the world at that time. And people knew if it got to the Atlantic, the war was over, right? It was the war was over completely. And uh, so when they found out it was traveling, um because a spy gave his life getting that information to the british there's hint number one right um they threw everything they could to stop this ship getting past and in the end like the hms hood went on and it just completely blew up like i think it was 1390 men dead in the blink of an eye three survivors got off it it was a complete and utter mess so the only way they could destroy it was to cripple it, right? And it took six squadrons of aircraft to cripple it before it could be sunk. And the photographer who consulted on that movie was used on the Death Star run as he was with the Dambusters movie. So there's a context for you. You know, it was like this guy who actually worked as a cameraman on Star Wars knew this. And the deaths, and it was essentially the Death Star because if it had made its way out into the open sea, without squadron after squadron making runs, and if you look in the movie, they have to fire a torpedo into its weak point, which is the rear propeller, in order to stop it, mm. almost like it's an exhaust panel because it's only about the size of you know a one prat, say two meters, and uh, and no basically than a one prat. Yeah. yeah um but that is one real comparison but the other comparison that goes with it so well is there was another major battle that was very close to it and i'm going to get to my point when i've told you about this battle it was called the raid on saint nazaire right um it's considered the greatest raid of all and basically St. Nazaire is three miles inland from the Atlantic Ocean, right? And to get to it, you have to ride right down the middle of this river, right? Past all the guns and everything. And they're firing at you as you're going down and three miles along this. And the ship that they used was the Campbelltown and they packed it full of explosives and drove it into the dock, which would have been used to repair small battleships so by taking this out of the war they kept all of germany's surface navy out of the war and they had to go down a three mile long um river guns firing all the way then guys jumped off blew up the rest of the stuff that was there and three ships made it back three of the small crafts made it back out of that was it um but they had to smash into a dock they had to smash a ship into a dock to win the battle and the other part of the mission was to to take out the Cassians, which which I always which I found funny when I was reading. But they're two real life raids that were almost could have been picked up and dropped straight into Star Wars. And the reason I'm bringing these two things up is, in Britain growing up, because the Empire went into our head as the Nazis, right? Because Growing up in England, we couldn't have cared less about American capitalism and imperialism, right? 
because we we was giving up an empire at the time you know it was like we did this once and we we don't want it anymore um and it wasn't a good thing when we had it anyway you know and we learned all that about that in school being an empire was bad and they taught us that so when we was at school seeing all this happening what that told us was this was the last stand this is almost like uh the rebels to all intents and purposes were britain because that's what we had to do you know and it's a cultural difference but how it's interpreted differently based mm -hmm. on historical events i need a glass of water now i'm yeah. done i yield <laughs> <laughs> no that's 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 really and that's one of the reasons i, I definitely wanted to have you on because you know the rest of us here are are american and meaning we've, we've grown up with a very strict um perspective and then you having been in a war and obviously from somewhere else that's that's crazy yeah, just bad. Just i don't have a lot more american. stuff i need to research yeah i just want to point out i am an american i paid a lot of money to become one <laughs> I just wasn't born here. <laughs> awesome. Um, yeah. But yeah, uh, that's, that's how it's taken culturally different. Sorry, I yield back. Oh, no, that's, that's, that's fine. Um, no, I, I always find it interesting um, the parallels between, um, and, and I guess not a lot of this is. Not all of it is in um, the original trilogy, but but the concept, but where we actually are getting the the concept of, of the Jedi Knights um, and their role and how it plays into both um, the Knights Templar as well as, you know, they're really based off of a, like a an amalgam of of eastern um religious practices uh i'm curious if you guys had any any thoughts on on those and how because uh, i i think it's it's interesting a lot of times they get portrayed oddly by people with western um <laughs> thoughts on things as if uh it's their way of thinking being different is automatically a negative um, but yeah, I'm curious if you guys have any thoughts of, uh, on that. Which is okay if you don't. <laughs> I, I don't really understand the question. Um, not I'm so sorry, much a, a question, just I'm just like... another <laughs> kind of uh, thought prompt to see if um, if we had any any other things to kind of go on, um, but. No, that's that's perfectly fine. No, this has been a really fascinating and, and eye-opening um, conversation. I definitely appreciate it a lot. I think what's really interesting about Star Wars, and you know, you think about the Empire, you think about the Rebellion, and something I've said before, which is, Star Wars has an extremely relatable story. Like, you can see yourself almost. Most people, I would say, can see some, but somewhat of themselves in Luke Skywalker and his story. And one thing, you know, there was this entire thing about, oh, well, you know, people of color are coming in and they're forcing wokeness. It was a thing that was going on in Star Wars fandom at one point, you know, and still is. 
But I was like, well, what about the story of Luke Skywalker makes you think this would not appeal to a diverse community or to diverse communities? You have a young man whose family is killed by an authoritarian regime, an empire. It radicalizes him to go and join a rebellion to take down the empire that murdered his family. You know, how many times have you heard that almost exact same story throughout history about an empire, a colonizing power coming in, killing people, and then that radicalizes people to join a rebellious movement against that colonizing power, against that empire, against that invading force. And I think when you take a step back from it, when people watch Star Wars, and we talked a little bit about, well, do you think people would have recognized back in the 1970s that the empire was supposed to be the United States? Well, I don't think they did because they automatically made a connection to Luke Skywalker because he's the protagonist, he's the good guy. And they thought to themselves, obviously that would be us. Obviously that would be me. I would be up against the big bad empire. That would be me in this scenario. And completely, of course, ignoring well, maybe you're one of the bad guys or you're part of the bad guys. And, you know, how many times have we had this exact conversation in the last four years about people saying like, oh, well, this and that politically is the empire and being like, well, look at what the empire stood for. Look at what this group of people stand for. Who do you think is the empire in this scenario? And people make these different connections to the Star Wars universe of who do they think are they the rebellion or are they the empire? And they like to usually chalk up, well, this group of people is the empire. And I'm obviously would be part of the rebellion. And I've always found that very interesting when we think about Star Wars and we talk about Star Wars is how people latch on to the rebellion and Luke Skywalker and they see themselves there, but they absolutely refuse to see any bit of who they could possibly be attached to as part of the empire. Yeah. Now, and uh, one of the big things that I think also comes out overall of the original trilogy is the overall message of um, it's always, you know, the how, how we treat the small or what we would consider weak um, is kind of what dictates who we are as, as people. You know, you think of... Um, at one one part of it is the rebels they're just a small you know french group and then it gets smaller but like it, it gets so down so small that it's like you didn't care about droids and so you lost <laughs> you know you, you didn't think uh ewoks were were you know worthy of, of anything and and so and so you lost yeah. and i think it always comes down to once uh any group gets to a certain size uh, and look and starts and looks down upon other groups. Well, that's that's that ends up being the downfall. That is what a radicalizes and b uh, leads to you know subversion. I, I don't think to go to go on what you and uh, Kiki were saying, um, Brandon. I think the other thing that makes it identifiable is there isn't a person in this conversation or a person um, being involved in the chat right now who hasn't been forced to be a rebel at some point just because you want your voice to be heard. You know the old saying, um, you'll break a stick on a man's back before you'll break a man the back of a man's spirit? Is that, an, is that a saying used in America? 
I've never heard it myself, but uh, <laughs> but I like it. It's yeah, a good it's one, right? <laughs> um, but we've all had to rebel at some point, right? Because you know, when when I was like seven or eight, right? My nickname for my dad was Darth Vader, right? <laughs> because he was the one who wouldn't let me go and play soccer after dark. <laughs> Right, so he was Darth Vader, and we've all rebelled against our parents. Mm-hmm. Um, people have rebelled against the church, right? There isn't a person here who hasn't rebelled against someone at some point. Yeah. So straight away, we see ourselves rebels because we've all been rebels. We've never all been imperial. We've never all had that draconian authority over someone else. To be quite frank, I'd never want that. You know, <laughs> I, I wouldn't like. You know, I was like. Your lack of faith disturbs me. I'd never want to do that to somebody. I do. It's like fun. Crushing your head and crushing your head. But it's... <laughs> I showed my age there. Um, but we've all had to rebel at some point. All of us. And that's what makes rebellions, you know, without being radicalized even, you know? like Yeah, um, that's true. I mean, and that's why we get so many other dystopian, you know, Hunger Games and... Um, maze runner and all these other things where it, it is I, I mean it's it's i think it comes down to the feeling of powerlessness we've all felt powerless at some point but we have the perfect trope for young adult novels mm-hmm. you know the there perfect are, trope for young adult novel is to be a rebel there there are two quotes that i think ring very true in in star wars uh or at least can be gleaned from star wars one is you know, uh, one man's freedom fighter is another man's terrorist. And the other one is history, society honors living conformists and dead rebels. True story, right? Yeah, because Che Guevara was a murderous bastard, but during the 1970s, he was on the poster of every student. He was on the poster of every student's wall. No, his poster was on the wall of every student growing up. And people used to walk around with T-shirts on him, you know, power to the people. But at the end of the day, he was a murderer. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Talking talking about uh, Star Wars and power, uh, on the prequel one, I I brought up the, the anthropological theory of men's theories of power, the political... Uh, military, economic, and and that's four, right? Yeah. And I, I talked about how in the prequels, Palpatine uh, Sidious is a master of all four. Um, four, but in the original trilogy, you kind of see a study on how just focusing on one of those um, power pattern channels decimates uh and crumples your, your power and he specifically how uh in anthropology going off of man's theory, man's theory military power is the quickest and easiest way to gain power but it's also the easiest way to lose it because you can only push it so far before it runs out of any subtle actual substance to control the people that you want to control because at some point fear people just get used to it 
it, they might be they might become conformist or they might like this is my life this is going to be something better and then there's going to be a pushback just as as a response from having it there all all the time and I, if Sidious had instead of just breaking the separatists further uh, it, with the Empire after um, winning the Clone Wars, it, it had uh, rebuilt them or, or gone into uh, relief like we did with um, uh, the Europe uh, powers in Germany um, with the Marshall Plan after World War II, I don't think the rebellion would have had that strong uh, surgency or energy that it did because they weren't being punished and stuff, but Sidious just doubled down on this military power because of the dark side, obviously. But he just used it so much, and that that use of that power, because it's so fleeting, led the rebellion to rise. And that's an interesting point because that's that's kind of reflected in um, the Alphabet Squadron books, where in an Alphabet an Alphabet Squadron they have, um, you know, this is this is post operation cinder um but the you know things are still popping off and they have this place called traitor's remorse and this is where people defect from the empire um and a lot of people are given a leeway and forgiveness and help to to rebuild but you know it just i, I if you haven't read alphabet squadron I, i'd highly recommend it so you know that's based so off a court. Sorry, that's based off a court in Rwanda. Traitor's remorse. After the Rwandan civil war, there was a court held up where all you had to do was go in and say, "I'm sorry for everything I did," and they'd let you go. But you had to show genuine remorse, and that was your sentence to show. You know, like if you showed genuine remorse, you was pardoned, and traitor's remorse was based on that. That's interesting. In the I other side, information. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is this is a really uh, yeah. There's a lot of stuff I, I didn't know. Um, but that, that's really cool because the, the other side of it is there are these these people where this war is essentially over um, in the book, but there's these groups that are fighting each other because that's all they know now. That's all they have left. Um, and you know their commander is like, I don't even want to be here anymore. But like, but I'm doing it for for these people because they don't have a place to go back to. Um, yeah, it's just I don't know. It's interesting. I love that internal conflict in Erica Bell as well, while she's at Traitor's Remorse and continues on afterwards. That internal struggle that she goes through is just she's just an amazing character. Oh, oh man. All, all of those characters have just such compelling internal struggles, specifically her and uh, Erica Quell, and um, and what's her name that takes on that's the, that's the big Universal uh, fangirl. Um, oh yeah, the one who ends up. Oh, I'm not going to say that; it's a spoiler. <laughs> um, yeah, this, if you haven't read Alpha Squadron, please, please read it. It's um, First book is, is is good. Second book kind of lost me a little bit. Third book, incredible. One of my favorites. Made the whole thing worth it. Yeah. Anyways, thank you guys so much for, for coming out and joining me. Um, 
I do want to go around and get your guys' uh, closing thoughts. And, um, yeah, so we can wrap up. If you have any closing thoughts, uh, once again, where we can find you or if you have anything coming up that you want to uh, to promote or talk about. And um, we'll end it with one more thing you're excited about for Kenobi. Um, and let's go to, we'll start with um, with Monty first. Me? Oh, God. <laughs> Nearly give me a second to think about that. Um, okay, the one thing I'm most excited for for um, Obi-Wan Kenobi show is I want to see the interaction between Kenobi and the Lars family because they were all Luke's protectors and we've never seen them interact on screen. Or in any novelization or extended universe, never seen them react. So, apart from the one, no, they weren't even in the Kenobi book, were they? So, we've never even seen that. So, I'm really excited to see that kind of interaction. Um, and my other one is um, there's a lot of people talking about di diversity and wokeness in Star Wars right now and um, complaining about it. And I'd just like to remind all those people the force surrounds us all it penetrates us and makes us all one so shut the f up that's it <laughs> <laughs> awesome i appreciate it uh how would you say pat uh let's see i'm really because i think it's basically being confirmed that jimmy smith is coming back as bell ghana kenobi and i i love bell ghana so much so i'm really excited just to have him back and to see how in, in what ways he in, interacts with Obi-Wan because it's a great duo. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, uh, oh, and, and sorry, where we can find you and your content? Oh, we're uh, on TikTok as St. Pat of Starfleet. There's a, there's a period and an underscore somewhere in, the, in there. <laughs> uh, and uh, Chris? Uh, I, I am Chris, aka Star Wars Lawyer, on YouTube, Twitch, Instagram, and TikTok, and Chris K R I S underscore S W L on Twitter. Uh, one thing that one thing I should have mentioned earlier, I forgot to mention earlier when I was talking about Kenobi, is shout out to Deborah Chow, man. Like just, 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 just what what we've gotten with with the trailer, you know, some of the shots and everything. Just shout out to her. She's gonna give us a great series. Um, but I'm I'm looking forward to if we're seeing Jimmy Spitz seeing a young Princess Leia because I'll probably lose it because you know Luke already got me emotional seeing like a young Luke looking like Anakin and seeing a young Leia that's on the other side of the age of when we first saw Padme. Man, wh why are you gonna say like as soon as you did my eyes you're like. Just what? No, <laughs> it's like. Oh, yeah. I mean, Chaco, you're familiar with uh, uh, the Prince of Egypt, right? Yeah. So you know, Camille and Beth were live earlier, and they were talking about Moses' allegories to Kenobi being in the desert. Uh, just imagine uh, "Deliver Us" being sung, and uh, at Moses' mother's part, where she's saying, "Hush now, my baby." That's Padme singing to Luke and Leia before she gives them up before she dies. Anyway, the felony hat was on today you're welcome uh 
Don't do and that, yeah. man. You're welcome. Just slap <laughs> me around the head next time, Chris. Man. Uh, <laughs> you, you know I've been at a low point today. Don't do uh, that. It's beautiful. <laughs> uh, it. Oh, I'll also um, one one more quick shout out to uh, to two black two nerdy podcast. Um, oh yeah, yeah. I I forget I I forget to, to shout out my podcast. I, I should do that. Also, Xanthi, uh Star Wars Music Minute and I are doing a Star Wars Music Madness challenge going on uh, right now. It's the prequels and the originals. There you can vote on uh, the matchups going on right now. Sequels and. TV shows and anthologies are next week. Awesome. I'll have to check that out. I actually just recorded with Xanthi in the um, for Solo, and it's, it's going to be fun. So, Star Wars Music Minute, check that out as well. Um, how about you, Beth? Oh, man. So many things. Um, I think as far as Oh, well, I guess you can find me at mar.j.skywalker, um, only on TikTok. I'm on Instagram too, but it's like under a different name. Um, also, I can only focus content creation in one area. I feel that. Um, <laughs> it's a lot. Um, as far as the Obi-Wan Kenobi show, I think what I'm most excited to see is a different version of a character that people are very familiar with. And he is going to be having both an in a journey that is obviously there is some action, but it's going to deal with a lot of internal conflict. And I don't think that's something that we've really seen explored in Star Wars, especially in a male character in a form of media. Um, and I think obviously he will be dealing with a lot of like guilt and PTSD and whatnot. So it's going to be interesting to see that side of this character that people have always kind of viewed as a perfect Jedi. And I have a lot to say about that, but I will not. Um, so I'm just, I'm fascinated to see, to really get in his mind. But I think that's what I'm really excited for. Yeah, I, I agree. Because I think part, I mean, a good part of the beginning of it has to be him trying to make himself, you know, pay penance for, for what happened. And not... How, how do you reconcile with that guilt, especially when it, when you see the state of the galaxy, and know that that's you trained that person and you could have stopped it? That's that's got to be it's got to be crazy. Anyways, uh, yeah, definitely that forward to that as well. Um, and Kiki, so black PNW lady on TikTok and on Instagram. Uh, what was like the final like what was the final thoughts or was it like what i'm excited for both yeah final thoughts overall yeah. and what you're excited for um i think that when you're watching any kind of media where there are villains where there's a portrayal of an empire or a tyrannical government you know if you live in a country that has had a history of being the colonizer that has had a history of being the imperialist. It might be tempting to look at the rebels and say, well, that would obviously be me, but also it's imperative that you take a step back and be like, but based on my nation's history, maybe the bad guys are also me. And maybe do some reflection on that. Um, I think what I'm most excited for with the upcoming Kenobi series is yeah, seeing Darth Vader, I'm not gonna lie, but seeing Jimmy, that that's that's kind of got me excited. Like I remember 
like seeing him play organic like center organa back in the day but i really know him really well from the west wing as matt santos so i'm like let's bring him back i love it, I love it. it's gonna be like matt santos in star wars i'm down for this <laughs> beautiful i remember him nypd blue and you wasn't even born I'm, I, Kiki, you said Matt and I was getting ready to say his, you know, his 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 DNC speech. I was ready. I feel it, you know, just bubbling up in my soul. He was so great. He was so great on West Wing. I I, I loved him. And it was great. And of course, I was watching it after show. So when he showed up, I'm like, oh my god, that's Bella Gunna. This yeah, is that's 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 hey, this is that Leia's dad. Like, <laughs> I'm like, hey, this is definitely how he was in the in the in the Galactic Senate. I... <laughs> this was the truth. This is the true pillar gata. I I actually have a poster downstairs in the basement of Jimmy Schmitz's liberals speech from the West Wing. Oh. I don't do politics on my stream, but down in my basement, it's a political hive <laughs> <laughs> of, of great, you know, industry. and Jimmy Schmitz. Is, I'm a teacher, you know. It's, um, but um, that speech that Jimmy Smith gives, it's I've got that one and the other one from uh, the news show that Aaron Sorkin did as well. What was it called? Uh, the press. The newsroom. The newsroom. Mm -hmm. The newsroom. Yeah, they're they're like two posters I've got down there, which I had myself. Awesome. <laughs> I love it. And oh man, I, I, I can't wait. I can't wait to get into the um, the parallels for the sequel trilogy, which we'll probably do in, in another month or so. But um, are we doing a, a High Republic? Because I got a list for you. I got a list. Ooh, if you got a list for High Republic, yeah, I didn't even think about it. Because um, I, I, got, I got nothing myself for that. I mean, I'm, I'm not good with this topic anyways myself but I've been, I, I, reading, I've been reading the uh the restyles book before uh fallen star and like i've been struggling to find i just and then vanestra said something and like oh okay <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and it just created a flood <laughs> well yep yeah, i can't i can't wait i can't wait um all right guys thank you all very much before I, we I go can i just throw before we go can i just throw one thing in there please yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a theory I've heard nobody discuss about, and it's complete Ed Cannon. But when at the end of Solo, Solo and Chewbacca are leaving for Tatooine, and that's 10 BBY. This is 10 BBY, and we're going to be seeing Kenobi. So just bear in mind that Chewbacca was very pally and easygoing with kenobi in the cantina in the original star wars i'm not making any theories i'm just saying <laughs> hmm that gives me some things to ponder mull that one over <laughs> <laughs> um all right guys thank you everyone uh yeah and for anyone that's still hanging out in chat please uh as as luke from potawas podcast say deploy the likes um i have a habit myself of joining streams and never clicking the like button so uh, it always helps <laughs> but yeah thank you guys all for joining me uh we will talk to y'all next time and may the